Welcome to the Holy Huga Podcast. I'm Jamie, your host, and I'm really glad you're here. I'm a wife and a mom of five who loves scruffy hospitality and intentional living. In this podcast, I dive into seven of the major pillars that create the popular Danish practice of Huga and how they intersect with the Christian faith. My prayer is that these conversations will help us both create homes that reflect the one whose spirit is making a home in us. Come on in. On Friday, August 5th of this year, my older sister died after a seven-year battle with breast cancer. And because of our age difference and some childhood trauma, she felt more like a mother to me. She was a special kindness in my life from a good, good God, and I miss her madly. But I grieve with hope, believing that I'll see her again someday. I've learned a lot about grief in the last few months, if I'm being honest, um, since watching my sister pass. Namely, grief is really messy and it's complicated. It's rarely ever linear, but instead it kind of happens in waves when you least expect it. In our Western culture, I think that grief has always been something to be avoided. It feels kind of like leprosy, as if in stepping close to someone who's grieving, their pain might accidentally rub off on us. So it's often just kind of easier for us to look away. We prefer comfort. But a Hugely lifestyle welcomes both. Or more aptly, I think it recognizes that you really can't have one without the other. And that's what I hope to talk about today. Today, I'm joined by Bethany Allen. She is the Pastor of Spiritual Formation and Leadership Development at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. And as you'll hear today, she's no stranger to the perfectly timed duet of pain and praise. Welcome to the show, Bethany. We're glad you're here. I am so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sure we have some listeners who maybe aren't familiar with you and your ministry. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, kind of what you do? Sure. Yeah, I am a pastor out here in Portland, Oregon, um, at a church, like you said, called Bridgetown Church. And we're a church that's about 12 years old, but we are sitting right in the middle of the city, living in a very unchurched part of our country. And uh, my job in particular is to oversee spiritual formation in all its forms and fashions here at the church. I've been on staff over 10 years, and um, we just continue to see God do really extraordinary things in the midst of a really dark place. I love that idea of spiritual formation. I'm hearing that word a lot lately. And what and I could be wrong, and correct me if I am, but what I picture when I hear that is that, you know, you start at one point, but you're it's the sanctifying process and sanctifying work of God that we're never fully arrived and perfected until, you know, our home in heaven, but you kind of walk alongside someone and help them step further and further into the journey. Is that, does that paint a good picture of what you do? Yeah, it paints a great picture. I think, you know, in the classic term, it's discipleship. It's how we are formed by the spirit, by Jesus, by his word and by um, living life with him. So we are we are framing our formation around that reality. And like you said, it's a lifelong journey. So and and definitely in the same way, even that grief is not a linear one, you know, it's one that has ups and downs and kind of moves you all around. So 
you know, when you say spiritual formation, it can sound neatly tied up, but we all know that that's a layered and more complex reality. So I get the the joy of just leaning into that and helping steward what God's doing in our community, as well as what God's doing with the individuals in our community. And then just trying to figure out how do we, how do we keep going after Jesus? How do we keep being transformed by and through our relationship with him? And I think that will be a thread woven into our conversation. But as we get started, as we've done with each of our discussions, I'm going to start with a verse, a truth to kind of guide us as we seek to know more about this particular Hugo tenet of comfort. And I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5, and they, they read this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And those verses kind of remind me that we are not blessed just with the blessing, the good things of Christ, but also with his suffering. And may we never forget that. You know, we have to hold both. We have to live in the tension of both. So, Bethany, when it feels like the sky is falling in our lives, how can we handle our pain or or perhaps how can we comfort others? How can our comfort of others point to the gospel? Yeah, I mean, I think those are two unique and significant questions uh, on the journey. You know, I think your first question just really centers around what our experience with God's comfort is. You know, we can't, you cannot provide comfort to others if you have not first received the comfort that God has for you. So, you know, I think um, when life is falling apart, it feels like everything is imploding. And what you're looking for is something to hold on to, something that feels like a sure foundation. And I think you know, in this space in particular, um, God is the only one uh, who can be a steady constant in it. And he is actually the only one. I was just talking with some friends last night uh, about a, a recent cancer diagnosis within our community. And um, just that God is the one who is the only one who can occupy all the spaces of the confusion, the grief, the doubt, the complexity. There's only one being on this planet who can actually enter into our circumstances in a way that brings us to level ground, that actually neutralizes what feels so out of balance and out of whack. So I think you have to figure out how God intersects or where you're experiencing Him, and really in a different way, how you're inviting Him into your space of what feels like chaos or fear or anxiety or whatever it may be. And then as you experience him, as you learn him in that space, as you see the way he's able to fill spaces that no other person on the planet can and no other Netflix show or amount of sweets or whatever it is can occupy that space, it's then you can actually bring comfort to others. You know, And I think when you say, how does it point us to the gospel? I mean, the declaration is that there is only one person on earth who has entered into suffering so perfectly that he can enter into ours as well so completely, you know? So the gospel is like there is one God who has been able to reconcile evil and grief and death. And it's only through him that we experience the fullness of comfort that we can't experience in any other way. Mm, I think we can end the show right there if we wanted to. I love the fact that you mentioned all those different emotions that carry you through 
grief, you know, um, we're often told there are stages of grief and emotions that you should expect. But what I love about the example of Christ as he walked this earth is he held all of those emotions very tenderly and exemplified all of them. So I don't need to be ashamed or even afraid to bring my frustration, my questions, even my anger that my sister passed away to God. He knows about it already. Jesus has, you know, he is a man of sorrow acquainted with grief, scripture tells us. So I don't have to withhold my true feelings about this situation from him. He knows about it already. And he's actually just kind of tenderly waiting for me to hand it over to him. Absolutely. I think that's one of those weird barriers that we often put up in grief um, is that somehow we have to help God with it, you know, as we've been helping others. And I think what you're saying is, is the beautiful truth, which is that God is already acquainted with it in his own, and in a really, through Jesus, a really personal, tangible way. But also by the Spirit, he's completely acquainted with it. And his He's not, he's not like humans in that he is like, I'm coming after you and what you can't even give to me yet, you know? And not only can I handle it, but I can, you know, in many ways redeem it. And as you're even, as you're even just carrying it, I can begin to bring redemption to those places. So just to your point, it's like, yes, but that is often such a barrier, at least for me in grief of like, well, this is a lot and like, I need to temper it for God. And I'm just like, continually reminded that he's like, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> I'm, I can hold this completely and perfectly. And in that, I want to I help bring your comfort through that, you know, and that's the kind of pathway, at least for me or has been in seasons past. And so often we just kind of want to break even in our grief, like, let me just get through it. But as you said, he doesn't just want us to get through it. He wants to redeem it. He wants to make something good out of it. I think we have to be careful when we use words like good, um, especially with our grieving and hurting friends and family, because good in our um, earthly terms is, I think, in many ways, quite a bit different than than perhaps a scriptural or heavenly definition of good. And we can get into that later. But I guess I want you to share, if you could, how the comfort of others in your own life has pointed you to the comfort of Christ. What kind of carried you through your own grief? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I, you know, there are a thousand points of grief in all of our lives. But I think one of the most significant for me came uh, when I was 14 and uh, my mom left our family um, pretty suddenly and um, you know, it's a pivotal age for a young woman. And we didn't have contact with my mom for seven years. So from 14 to 21, um, I was, we were alone, you know, and I have two siblings and my dad's a wonderful man. Um, but that put my world upside down. And <clears throat> I remember in that season really distinctly having this, I would call them like a company of women surround me these were older women in my church like and i i grew up in the south so just think kind of steel magnolias kind of women the the salt of the earth truth telling in your face a little bit too invasive kind of women um who so distinctly met me in that season were a tangible expression of of christ to me in that season you know i think when when um that loss happened these women stepped in and i remember one of the first things they said to me or spoke out to me was uh, things about their story, really precious things in their life, really 
you know, in some ways, culturally, at, at least in the church, provocative things, experiences that they had walked through in the realm of grief or the valley of the shadow of death. And they kept saying, like, we made it out the other side. And this was loss of children. This was other really, really dramatic circumstances. You know, and I'm 14. Um, these women were my kind of company for four solid years till I graduated. But over and over again in the realm of my grief, I just kept hearing the declaration of these women and, and not just hearing, but seeing within them genuine joy and genuine, like, redemptive work of God. Now, was it perfect? No. But what I saw in them was life after death, you know, after the death of dreams, after the death of people, after the death of relationships, and through their honesty and their willingness to share that and to invite me into those spaces of their own grief, I was able to have hope. I was able to at least, you know, I wouldn't say I was like emotionally just like jazzed and fine, obviously, but I would say I was, I at least caught a glimpse, a picture of what life could look like. And I think when you're in the midst of grief, it's like death surrounds you. You know, David uses that language in the Psalms of how death consumes you and it's dark, you know, but then like in Psalm 139, it's even if I'm going into Sheol, even if I'm in the depths, you are with me. And I think what I saw in these women was this declaration that God was with them and that that's not where they stayed. You know, that there was this movement in the kingdom that would somehow generate life where there had been death. So I think for me, you know, receiving the comfort of these women who had gone before me in many ways, not in my situation, you know, exactly, but that's never the case anyway, you know, but women who had said, God will be faithful and not because I'm speaking some rhetoric to you and trying to bring you up, but because we have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we'll keep calling back to you that you will see it too. Um, so honestly, I mean, they were an extension of faith for me. They were an extension of belief for me when I couldn't. You know, they they really carried me in really extraordinary ways that I think set me on a trajectory that allowed me to see um, that there was a way forward in the midst of just some of my most confusing and and saddest, I think, you know, of seasons. So they were a massive gift and, and helping calling me forward. It sounds like they were really living out and walking out that Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 passage where they were using their scars as their authority to speak into your wounds in the moment. And now, let me ask you, does that then give you courage to do the same to the, the next, you know, 14-year-old that comes in your path that is deeply wounded or, you know, fill in the blank, whichever person, does that sort of buoy you and carry you forward with a charge to like pass on what you have received? Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Um, and I, just as even we were starting the podcast, um, one of those women who I would call spiritual mother to me, um, she went to be with Jesus in December of this past year and um, young, you know, I mean, younger and um, just had health issues. And um, I was just thinking about how that moment for me in December was oddly catalytic of, of feeling like some mantle was handed to me. You know, I've gotten to do ministry for almost 20 years. Um, and I have, I have sat with the me versions of this story at least five or six times. And then beyond that, those who have been wounded by parents or experienced abandonment in whatever way, and so I've been able to comfort with the comfort I had received from the Lord for sure. But it felt like in December, this 
I had this moment, you know, I don't know if you've had anything like this where I just said, like, I'm not ready to be the one who carries this. Like, I'm not ready to be the mother that you were, you know, and I, I, uh, I don't know if I have that. And I remember talking to my dad about it and he just said, you know, you are, and you get to give what has been given to you from Nancy, who, who was, um, this matriarchal, brilliant woman who helped steward that season for me. So I just feel like, yes, that's, there's a resounding yes, you know, and there's more, you know, I don't think, I, I know that there's even a deeper mantle to say to steward the gift of comfort and really faith that I was given through that season. You know, I, they, in, in the same space that they brought comfort, they, they just called me to look at Jesus differently and to lift my eyes to the hills over and over and over again until I saw the goodness of the Lord. And I hated it. It wasn't like, oh, it was such a wonderful experience. <laughs> Nobody wants to do it. Nobody feels great when they're doing it. But, um, you know, there's this gift of hindsight in the realm of comfort where you're like, whoa, um, and help me to believe you more. Help me to have faith in seasons of grief that will come and faith for others in seasons that will come to them that will allow us to continue to propel forward this comfort this work of the spirit that you only receive in places of pain help us to steward that so i think just even in a newer way i've felt catalyzed since this past december of of wanting to steward that more and more just because of her faithfulness because their faithfulness i'm not only doing it for my work but i get to do it out of joyful choice you know to steward the gift that god had given to me I think so often we're sort of paralyzed by fear um, of perhaps the threat of doing it wrong, you know, carrying somebody's pain incorrectly or saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. And that sort of makes us stand still in our tracks instead of moving towards, moving forward towards their grief. Um, We don't know how to help them come back out into the world again. And so we just do nothing. What are some practices of comfort that um, we can share, that you can share with those listening? I don't know about you, but when I come face to face with other people's pain or grief, I get really awkward because I don't always know what to say. But I think for the sake of the gospel, I can't be a draft dodger here, you know? So what have you found to be some really tangible ways to help us, first of all, you know, cast off our own... um, I would even say like prideful thoughts, like I have to do it right. It's more about me than about them. How can we cast that off? And then how can we show some real tangible comfort to those hurting ones to to, to declare, hey, God meets us right here in the dust? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this this one gets to be unique and born of the spirit. But I think to your, what you just even shared, like there is a real discipline, I think, for lack of a better word, to throwing off your own perspective, your own um, discomfort, your own, you know, we weren't created for death. We weren't created for the death of anything. We, we're identic people who carry an identity that when death comes, when, when relationships end, when they're even broken, there's something in our being that is, is it's screaming out, this is the way, this isn't how it's meant to be. This isn't who we were meant to be. And I would just say there is, a, I think, a discipline to embracing that 
and allowing that space of saying, you're right, this isn't how it was meant to be. And so that's why I'm feeling all this discomfort. That's why I'm feeling like such a weirdo and I'm saying weird stuff and I'm not knowing or I'm paralyzed or whatever it is. And it, just receiving that and saying, God, yeah, this isn't how it's meant to be. Um, but through Jesus, you've provided this way forward. So how then now shall we live? I think there's a, a, a jumping off point where we can say, this isn't how it was meant to be. Um, and because of that, there's not like a prescriptive path for us. There's just doing the next loving thing. So I think, you know, there's a million ways to do this, but I think presence above all else is a gift that in a space of grief people need and uh, you know you shouldn't be pushy and um rude but i do think there are moments where you should be aggressive with your presence even if that just is a symbol of your presence it's just dropping off a you know some flowers on the porch and um, it's just it's a consistent text of just like here's what i'm praying for you here's what i'm thinking about for you it's just the gift of saying I'm with you. I don't understand this. I can't reconcile the the brokenness you feel in your reality, but I am here. And like you, I am experiencing the reality or have experienced the reality of how death has shaped and impacted our lives. And um, so I just think showing up, you know, and and I think, you know, this is age old and I think people know this by now, but it's just important to say, it's not if you need something, let me know. You know, I think we've got to move away from that in seasons of grief. That's that's our cop out. I think we need to acknowledge that, that that's like for us the easier route. And it does feel good. I'd rather say that than, than do something more invasive because then I risk being a, a weirdo in those spaces. But I think it, you have to let go of the, if you need something, let me know and just do something. So beyond presence, do something. Right. Because they don't always know what they need, you know, and that then becomes a burdensome question like, oh, I'm supposed to figure this out to tell you an answer of how you can help me. You just have to be bold enough to step in. And I would add to what you're saying, Bethany, and like if you're really listening well and sitting in companionable silence with somebody in their grief and really listening to them, you can pick out their their needs that they don't even have the language to voice. I remember, you know, shortly after my sister passed away, my niece had had asked everybody who would be coming to the funeral to wear green because that was her favorite color. And I didn't at the time own a stitch of green. And you know, shopping to me, I'd I'd rather eat a bag of hair than go to a department store on my best day. And so it felt like such a burden to me. Like, I want to honor my niece in this. I want to honor my sister, but I don't have anything green. And just in conversation with a friend that came out, you know what? Within a half hour, she brought two green dresses to my doorstep. And I know that as I stood giving the eulogy at my sister's funeral, wearing this green dress, it looked like a green dress to everybody else, but it spoke the language of love to me. I just think there is wisdom in what you're saying. Of like, There's a listening that we can enter into in grief for another. And then from that, let that be the agent, like you're saying, to catalyze acts of love and presence with other people. So, you know, I love, I love bringing donuts to people. I love taking kids out for a few days and, or whatever it is, just saying like, y'all are going out for a date night. I'm here. I brought dinner for the kids. Go, you know, do what you need to do. There's just tangible ways to show up that I think really say, I'm listening and I'm with you. And, um, and we're just taking this one step at a time. We're just moving forward together in this. And, um, 
Yeah. And then, and together we're looking for the light together. We're looking for the coming good of God, but when you can't and how you can't, I can, I can keep my eyes lifted, you know? So, I mean, again, for each person that's creative, that's different. Like your friend, that's like brilliant, a brilliant example. But I think if we ask the Lord, I think we'd be surprised at the invitations or the, the places he would call us to go and the things he'd ask us to do. And it might seem like the weirdest thing, you know, like I've bought like wreaths from Hobby Lobby for people in changing seasons because I'm like, I don't think they have it in them, but I know they really care about that, you know, <laughs> and I've questioned God in those spaces, but just weird things like that, that make, make a difference, you know, to those who are grieving. That's right. I, I think that, you know, if you can love in very practical, tangible ways, in, in small ways, it really does show big love. I remember a time where I had a sick child in the hospital for a few days and I came home and I was so very behind in life, in work, in and I was drained emotionally, physically. And I had a woman just drop off paper products to my house and she says, let this be your permission to not do dishes. And it was just like a bag of you know, paper plates and plastic silverware. And that carried me through that little bit of of tangible love. And to be clear, and I know Bethany had had alluded to this earlier, death comes in many forms. If you're listening here today, you know, you may not be experiencing the the loss, the death of a person, but maybe you've experienced the death of a dream, a job, a relationship. So let's be people who step in and push death back by bringing the light into the world. So with that, Bethany, do you think there is a difference between the comfort that we can give our our family, our friends and neighbors versus the comfort that they can just receive in the world? Is there a difference? Are we just talking about like just tangible tools? Anybody can bring, you know, a bag of paper plates and plastic spoons, but what is the difference that we as believers offer? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I don't want to get too theological here, but it is a helpful thread that I hold on to in this space, especially when thinking about this question. You know, I think what we're connected to, what we as believers are anchored to is a living hope. You know, like the, the scriptures say, like, what we offer is not just deeds or actions. Every action, every expression of love is connected to a steadfast, everlasting love that actually carries power, resurrection power in it. So I think there is a distinct difference between what we bring, what we even carry in our being by virtue of just presence with people and what those who are not in the kingdom um, are offering. And I think it's not that those things aren't good. You know, I wouldn't say that the acts of of someone who's not thinking of art good. I think there, there's an, a movement of goodness, but I think um, what we carry is something distinctly different, you know? And I think it's connected to a hope that is eternal. And I think that's the other reality of like what we're sowing in the spaces of, of someone else's grief is sown for all eternity. It's so it's sowing into the the coming reality when Jesus makes everything right. And um, and you just kind of, you references just a second ago, like we're actually working against the evil and the plan of the evil one um, as we as believers move forward, you know, into grief. And that's kind of weird conceptually. But if you think about those who aren't in the kingdom, they're not in the kingdom of light. 
um, which means that they are in the, as we're told this in the scriptures, they're in the kingdom of darkness. So they're aligned with that kingdom and not the kingdom that's coming. So there is, there are implications for that. There are realities that are played out in what we're sowing in those spaces. So I think, yes, we bring something different. You know, we also get to bring just at a really simple level, we get to bring declarations that are true to people. You know, that death will end, that death will and is defeated right now, that God is working for our coming good, that he he does bring life out of death. And even though some of the some of those things drive us bananas when we're in it. I mean, it's like, don't tell me that. I don't feel like that's true. It's still true. And truth has power and it brings freedom. So no matter what, we know that as kingdom people, we're sowing light and life where there has been death in places of grief. And that's the distinction. And it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful gift um, to get to steward that, even in places of great darkness. And I think that's um, that's a hope for us, even as we walk with others in grief. That's a hope for us that what we're stewarding is more than just a bag of groceries, that we're actually contributing um, to the life um, that Jesus spoke about and the life that is on offer to those, especially who are suffering or hurting you know, in whatever season they find themselves in. Yeah, we can shout um, in quiet, loving ways that this is not natural. And sometimes in grief, we need to hear that. Death is not natural. And I think that's a common refrain that we hear out in the world. But the truth is, it's not natural. The world is broken. And this is just um, a response to sin. It's the fallout of sin, death, de- disease, and destruction. And there is a hope. There is another side of that story. And in saying that it's natural, that leaves a person with very little hope. So we can bring the hope by declaring the truth over and over and over again. Here's another refrain, and and I'm going to get a little spicy here for a second. There's another refrain that I hear a lot in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a hard thing. I often hear this, well, God shows up when you least expect it. He's going to show up here. It's a phrase that I think we throw around to in in well-meaning ways to encourage people in their pain. But can you speak to the theology or perhaps the twisted theology of that statement? Yeah, what's like unhelpful about that is that it's not like it's true. God can work and does move in that way, but he is already there. So by making a statement like that, that God shows up when we least expect it, or God, by by creating this narrative that God is going to show up in a moment or he's going to whatever it may be, um, it it diminishes the, the power of his presence that already is. You know, and I think, or to me, I think it does. I think it's saying like, you know, chin up until something good happens. It's also this kind of lottery kind of slot machine reality of like, well, things will work out in a minute if you get the right equation or the right, you know, whatever his cosmic timing is. And I think all of that's really unhelpful because I think it, again, I think it counters and takes away from the powerful reality that God is present present in the depths of our greatest despair, that he is present as we know it in the scriptures in Sheol and in the valley of the shadow of death. God is fully present and his presence isn't um, predicated on someone one like burst of a miracle. His 
presence and his goodness is seeping out in those spaces and bringing redemptive work in those spaces all the time. So I think by throwing statements like that out, it sort of diminishes the reality. And also, I also think it, it calls our eyes to look at something that is less helpful or to look towards something that's less helpful when God is ever present and working out his goodness and his redemption, even in the midst of our hardest and deepest places of pain and loss. So, I mean, I, I find that statement unhelpful. There are a few others I also find unhelpful in spaces of grief uh, that I think just are counterintuitive or counter-realistic to the way that God is functioning in that space. And I think it just kind of hijacks the goodness of God. And I think it minimizes it in a way that makes God seem a lot smaller and a, a lot more weirdly calculated than he actually is, you know, in that sense. So I don't know if that's spicy enough, but well it's said. definitely uh, well said. I just, much I'm less spicy than I would I'm, have given I'm it. I <laughs> definitely try to be polite, but I, I think it's just unhelpful. You know, so I think I think there's just a lot of other things we could choose to say. Then again, I imagine that that is tethered to someone else's discomfort which also hijacks, you know, the gift of comfort that we're trying to offer. Well, as we wrap up today, I have one more question for you, Bethany. I promise this is a much lighter question. <laughs> one of the core foundations of Huga, as we've been learning about in these past few episodes, is that the outward life will always affect the inward life. I think Jesus modeled that in his own life. So I want to know what is one outward something that you've enjoyed lately that has really helped reorient your inward life. And it can be as meaningful and lovely or as, you know, silly and functional as you want. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm torn between two things that have been really helpful, but um, let me do that. I'm just, I'll give you two. Oh, you can add okay, two. Okay, great. I'll do that then. Um, the first one is Pilates. Like I do Pilates multiple times a week now. And I, I am, I, I am in a season of grief as well. Uh, and I just knew that there was something I needed to do that would slow me down, that would force me to breathe, as simple as that sounds, and would allow my body to integrate um, and to even move through or move in a way that would relieve some of the grief that my body is carrying. So I know it sounds simple, but exercise, whatever it may be for someone else, but uh, for me, it's Pilates, um, has been a tangible outward release that has helped me integrate and slow down and even breathe in places that I um, I just wasn't breathing in, you know? Um, and it's, there's slower movements, they're rhythmic, you know, there's um, resistance, but there's also just a really steady flow of movement, which just, again, helps me, helps me remember I am body and limited and human and, um, and I need to release the things that I'm carrying, even at a physical level. So I've been doing Pilates. The other discipline I that's been my saving grace, you know, from in my life for the last ten years, has been the practice of Sabbath, um, where I take a 24-hour period. I turn off my phone, and I remember that I am dust. You know, I think, especially in places of grief, it's odd. People will say, "Oh, you don't want to be alone," or "You don't," and that's true. But I do think there's a really healthy. Um, reminder that takes place when we sh when we move out of work mode into a 24-hour period of being with God of worshiping God of settling in to the fact that I am I am a creation and I do create but I am not creator like that 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 rhythm that slowing down that moving me out of a normal mode that I exist in has actually 
re-anchored me to what's true and really allowed me to enter honestly into the spaces of grief and to deeper and honest conversations with God. And it's helped catalyze just the truth in my life in this particular season. So those two things, Pilates and Sabbath have been game changers for me and really practically helpful in, in becoming more present in my internal world as I'm doing some of these tangible external just rhythms, you know, that help order my days rightly and order my body rightly. It's such a great reminder to get off and be still and know that He is God, you know, the Sabbath rest. And we'll be talking about Sabbath rest in just a couple more episodes. So I love the fact that you kind of um, set our gaze there already preemptively. But I'm reminding, reminded of the fact that you know, we often think when Jesus went off into the wilderness to be by himself, we equate wilderness with horrible things. But actually, it was a place of preparation for him. You know, he was able to set his eyes on the truth, strengthening, yes. And so let's not let's not be afraid of that, even in the midst of our suffering and our grief, to get away and just be still and know that he is God. Such a great reminder, Bethany. Thank you so much for taking the time to comfort us with the comfort of Christ. I know that this conversation will be a balm to many. It's been a balm to me. So thank you personally. Tell us how people can best connect with you if they want to learn more about you and your work and what God is doing in your life. Yeah. I mean, I'm on social media. I'm never on Twitter, but I'm definitely on Instagram. And it's just my name, Bethany Allen. And then uh, our website at our church would be the best place to get kind of a snapshot of what we're up to and what we're doing here. And that's just bridgetown.church. That's the website. So you can check us out there um, or find me on social media and we can connect that way. Wonderful. Well, two years ago, I set out to write a book about the life found only in Jesus and how Huga can be an outward display of this inward hope that we have. If you've started reading the book, you probably know by now that comfort plays a very important role in a Hugely home. Now, on the other side of my sister's death, I can tell you with all certainty that everything I wrote about, about the comfort of Jesus, holds up, friend. He knows the deep ache of loss, and he is acquainted with grief. And in my heartache, I know that I can draw close to him, my source of all joy. Those aren't just words. Those are truth. He has heard every cry that has torn from my lips in these past few weeks, and he will continue to gather all my tears. And he wants to do the same for you, He wants to do the same for your family, your friends, and your neighbors. The gospel is big enough to hold up all of our hurts. We must remember that the pain of this world doesn't get to have the last word, not in my sister's life, not in my life, and not in your life if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. The cross has overcome the grave. All glory be to the God of beginnings and also of ends. Next time, we'll be talking about a companion to comfort. We're going to unpack the Hugely Tenet of Contentment. And if you'd like to get a jump start, I'd encourage you to grab a copy of my book, Holy Huga, Creating a Place for People to Gather and the Gospel to Grow. For now, I'd just like to send you off with a benediction to help you cling to the comfort that is yours for the taking in Christ. It comes from 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. 
comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you.